So I'm gonna, <coughs> oh my God. Screw uh. the throat. <laughs> <laughs> Hello once again, and welcome to my favorite podcast, because I'm the star, the Zoom Green Room. My guest this week is another jack-of-all-arts trades, ticketing, stage managing, event producing, talent wrangling, talent booking, generally telling talent what to do and making sure that they do it. My guest is my friend, Ansley Newland. Yay! I'm assuming there's applause out there. <laughs> yeah, that's for the four applause. people who know who I am. <laughs> that's right. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. My baby podcast about a virtual green room. I like to think it's velvety. There's a chair over here. Everything's very germy. You can Some drink. Nuts on you the... can smoke if you want to because it's all virtual oh. in our minds, in our mind's eye. I don't want to think of a future that involves Zoom. <laughs> yes, 2021. Our, I never want to log on to Zoom again. Our new best friend. It already is 2021. That's the I know. Part. I know. <laughs> this shit's still rolling. Uh, feels like we've been in this for a decade by this point. It does. The time has. I feel like it's just become a tubular blur where it's just like not really separated by anything. At this point, I literally do have to stop and think about what day of the week it is. Oh, how about what month it is? Yeah, like literally whenever I am like dating an email or coming up with a work back, I'm like, it's Tuesday. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you're like, this computer calendar better be right. Because that's all that's guiding me. And if it ever freezes up, I won't know. I won't even know. It's my touchstone to the general wider world that exists outside of my apartment at this point. That's it. Let's go back. How did you start with, this isn't, this isn't exactly what you went to school for. No, no. Uh, my original schooling way back when, when I, my, so I went to an arts high school. So in high school, I was really heavily involved in theater in the performing side because I was part of a special musical theater program at Wexford Collegiate Institute. Fame. Fame. <laughs> I did do a production of Fame, but I was doing tech. Um, so, but by the time I reached my grade 12 year, I kind of realized that I wasn't talented enough as a performer to make it in this industry. I was, you know, moderately sized white girl, can't dance, can sing, likes to think she can act, but there's like 30 million of me out there trying the same thing. Some might say small sized white girl, but (laughs) some of us would be gigantic. So it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, Somewhere in there. But I realized I, I didn't really have the drive or the passion to do what you need to do to make it on the stage. So I went with my secondary passion, which was ancient Egyptian history. Uh, and I, I went to the University of Toronto for Near and Middle Eastern Civilizations and sort of kept the, the arts as a hobby. So while I was in university, I was doing a lot of tech work for Scarborough Music Theatre, which was a local community group. I was doing stuff for my dad's little community group. 
Uh, and then as part of my university side gigs to fund university, I ended up taking a position with the uh, which is where I met you Yay. in their, their ticketing system. So uh, when I graduated, got my degree in Egyptology, that is right around when the Arab Spring happened. Uh, so the plan yes. to go to Egypt and try to pursue that, you know, actually get on the ground and do digs. Those kind of all fell apart. Uh, and the Egyptian government, rightly so, has become very, very protective in recent years about who was actually allowed on to those old sites, uh, because that is their culture, that is their history, they need to protect it. So the opportunities for foreign universities to come in and start running digs in Egypt were getting more and more limited. And I was realizing just as much as I didn't want to pursue a career on the stage, I didn't really want to pursue a career in academia because in Egyptology, the only way to get anywhere is to have a PhD. So suddenly I was thousands of dollars in debt from my undergrad and facing at least eight more years of school to get my master's and then my PhD. Isn't learning things fun? I, I love the learning things. I mean, every yeah, everybody does. That's why it should be university, free. Should be but free. the fact that I was like, uh, really didn't have the funds to, to go on yeah. Than that PhD. So uh, I decided to take some time off and just work and just sort of explore the world and see what really spoke to me. So I, I spent a lot of time working for the worked my way up to sort of a, a lower middle management position in there. Um, but again, not really finding my passion, not really thinking that this is what I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. Uh, so then I ended up going back to school um, and you know, spending more money uh, for an accelerated one-year postgrad program in cultural and heritage site management. So going back to my love of history, uh, but just seeing, you know, what was something that I could do that was a little bit more local than Egypt, uh, which is a little far away from Toronto, Canada. Uh, so I, I did an accelerated one-year program, uh, and part of that program, uh, you did an internship, and I did my internship with, of all places, Black Creek Pioneer Village. Uh, which is a um, outdoor museum uh, in just north of Toronto that recreates life in 1867 Ontario. So I went from focusing on something that happened 3,000 years ago to focusing on something that happened 150 years ago from Egyptian history to Canadian history. Uh, so I was doing some program design for them, designing things that would teach kids history, teach people who were attending the museum history, some interactive hands-on programming. And after my internship finished, they asked me to stay on as a historical interpreter, an educational person, and as a programmer. Don't leave out the cosplay. No, no. Sorry, I'm getting my timelines crossed. My cosplay. pioneer cosplay. (laughs) Part of the job was actually dressing like it was 1867. So that was my favorite part of your job. There's a lot of photos out there of me in puffy skirts and stupid hats. Doing Um, the meet and greet. Doing the meet and greets. As part of the job, I started to get roped in doing media relations for them. So I did a couple of tours for Tourism Toronto. Uh, and there is some random show in Hong Kong where I am taking two adorable children who I couldn't understand because they didn't speak English, but they were adorable. Uh, they came to visit me in 1867 Canada and I took them around the village. So that was the kind of things that I was doing there. But I'm such a Gemini. I cannot. You're going to hate me for saying that. I'm going to hate myself for saying that. Uh, again, going through that, I was like, OK, this is not really filling 
a huge, the hole in my life, this is not really scratching the itch. I had ended up when I was working for Black Creek, doing a lot of programming for them. And we shouldn't make it sound like you just dropped in and out. You were there for a while, quite a while. Four years. Yeah. I was with them for four years. So uh, in that time, I designed a whole bunch of programming for them. And I really realized that programming design and event production was where my passions lie. So when I was sort of thinking, okay, how do I get to more into programming? There wasn't really a huge amount of opportunities at Black Creek. Uh, the museum field in general is a very hard field to really break into. Uh, it's just, there's just not a huge amount of positions available and it is generally not for profit. There's very few museums that are run for profit. Mm -hmm. Always, always, always contingent on funding. There's steady jobs are few and far between. You're mostly going to be working on contract and hoping to God that next year's grant comes through in order to keep being employed. So I started to cast the net, look sort of, you know, in different places. Uh, and that is where I landed my current job, which I absolutely adore and have so much fun with. Uh, and that is planning comic book conventions. Yeah, large scale large scale uh, all over North America. I get to, you know, visit all over the United States, all over Canada, coast to coast. Uh, and that is where the actual cosplay, not my cosplay because I don't not cosplay, but I manage, yeah. I manage everyone else's cosplay as part of that job. So, yeah. So when I, I look back at where I've come from, you know, from that kid in high school who was villager number four in Anne of Green Gables to, uh, you know, now coordinating the programming at a major event company for, we do 14 events across the year, all over North America. It's been a, it's been a really weird journey um, dipping in and out. You know, I still love theater. I move as a stage manager whenever I can, as you are well aware, but yeah, I think I finally sort of found my niche. The many different hats, they've all helped me in my current job. So it's, it's been a lot of fun and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Not so much this year because it's been a little bit. Yeah. You uh, and rough, everybody else. But hey, we're yeah. still here. We're hanging on and we're, we're hopeful for the end of 21. It did blow my mind. I mean, I've been to uh, conventions a couple of times while you were sort of on the job. The idea of coordinating something with over 10,000 people and that multiple, multiple, multiple events going on at the same time or having to hook up one after the other. It's, it's a really big puzzle piece. Uh, our biggest events will see over a hundred thousand people over three yeah. or four days. Yeah. Uh, and that's just the attendees. We then have to wrangle the talent that comes and joins us for all of these, both the celebrity talent, the comic talent, um, the programming partners that I bring in to help me deliver programming. And yeah, and then the programming that I also execute on site as well. So it's, it's weird that it like, they come together very strangely where you feel Two weeks before a show opens, you're kind of like, oh my God, what's going on? I'm constantly writing emails. I'm, and then there's just this moment of bliss where suddenly it all just gels together. Um, and then we're ready to go. And then on-site execution, I mean, anything can happen. It's a live event. You have shows. Uh, there's been a lot of times where we've just been like, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's completely change something in an hour or less and try it again. But it's, yeah. that's what makes the job so much fun. Uh, is sort of that that constant movement and change and just yeah when I'm feet. thinking on your feet and yeah. when I'm at that show I I literally don't stop um, because if I'm not actually on a stage hosting something or delivering program myself then I have to go and 
wrangle talent or do some escort or make sure, you know, we've had an issue in a room that I have to go in and find a tech and fix or someone's gotten lost. Uh, so there's a lot of different things that happen. And you just I remember it, it might have been the last one I was at. I helped you carry bags about five miles. Yes. Like you're just like, if oh, I'm taking these show, bags I'm from one room it. to another room. And I said, no yeah. problem. And then when we got to the other room, I was like, Ansley, I don't know how to get back. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you gave me directions. But what I ended up doing was going outside, going around the building and going back in. With, which thought, in that particular building is probably better that you did. Well, I just thought I can't deal with this crowd going back it's, the other way. It's really funny. The first time I did Calgary. <laughs> Um, I wasn't the lead when I went the first time I was there to do the cosplay programming and to support the former programming person who has now moved on to bigger and better things. And I've slid into his former slot, but I swear to God, it took me until the last day before I really knew my way around that building. (laughs) So even us, even sometimes, you know, we get to know the, the convention centers, like the back of our hands eventually, but those first shows were always like, well, they're like airports. Like you're just like, what? It's like, like multi-level halls going to nowhere and then going yep. to these other places with nowhere. It's, it's, it's a lot, but it's, yeah. it is fun. You learn the sort of things where you can like take a breather and like sort of be able to disappear. I have very fond memories. Um, two years ago, I had exactly five minutes to eat lunch and I ate it <laughs> in one of the programming rooms. Because <laughs> it was just the only place the where I was like, I can like take a, a breather, a I can eat this. This, this down this diet coke and it was a, <laughs> it was a diet coke and a pack of oreos okay oh don't judge me yeah i, I, I show up minutes. at a convention and ansley <laughs> buys me a diet coke like she's some kind of big shot that's when i know i have friends in high uh... places it's just like here you go honey this diet yeah. coke's on the house <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was a shotgun to Diet Coke and behind a curtain. And then, okay, lunch is over, time to go. Yeah. Oh, we've got a great event coordinator here. She, she does belch a lot, but besides <laughs> that, <laughs> she is awesome. She's Actually, like the belching kind of matches the event in a way. <laughs> yeah, no one would raise an eyebrow. <laughs> so that's, I mean, we're kind of close to the present, but I want to just take a detour into that stage management comment. Because um. <laughs> we were partway through our uh, being at the same workplace together, I was doing a somewhat insane choice of a fringe show. And I'd already burned through two people who like stage managers is very hard to come by the fringe because they're usually really want to be actors. And then yeah. they find out that it's work and they don't want to do it anymore. Sorry, that's harsh, but it, let's be real. <laughs> And I, I, I think we were at the box office and I said, God, I really need somebody at this thing. And you were like, oh, I'll do it. And we weren't really, I mean, we were friendly, but we, we were work acquaintances. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I said, great. I think I shook your hand right there because yeah. I'm an old man, but I was like, great. And you came on and it was late in the game and you just yes. took over. We were, I think it was, we were in final rehearsals and I think move in for the we were almost in tech weeks away like yeah. it was because i only remember i remember those rehearsals up in the i think it was the tarragon it was a one of the extra spaces 
Yeah. And I remember, yeah, coming in and the show was like completely blocked and they were all off book and I didn't really have to do line reads for anybody because it was that late in the game. And then, yeah, we just, we did like maybe two or three there. And then suddenly it was our one hour tech because thanks Toronto Fringe, that's, that's more than. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's one that there's one show where I did sort of slip with the tech because I was so used to doing everything myself. And I'd been told, don't try to do this yourself. You must get somebody else to do this. And I did, but I didn't really understand that I had to control, like I trusted them. And they overtecked the production. I think even when I said half of this has to come out, I was, I was, that was too light. Like three quarters of it had to come out. So we were very tech heavy and it was over-programmed. It was, I remember that show because it was a 70 something minute show. And with a thousand cues. 70 cues. Yeah, it was insane. It was completely insane. And that's my one regret about that. But yeah, she was just really. You kind of saved it because you had to, you were the one running it. I didn't have yeah. to run it. But the, pr- the problem was even for you that you would say, okay, go on this. But because it was pre-programmed, sometimes the timing would be off. Yes, it was weird. The test terrible. the light board. So that I still bothers actually... me thinking about that, Ansley. That bugs the hell out of me because I, I just thought I, sh- I should have done the, it myself. I should have done it myself. The blackouts were all timed. So yeah. I had to like, I had to do a standby like an LFX standby yeah, and do an LFX go like 10 seconds before I actually wanted the house lights to go because she had programmed them. And if one of the actors was a, a millisecond late, yeah. it would, it fucked well, it up and it wasn't the there. It was, was not the actor's fault. It was the, the lights had, had to no... hit the exact lines. Yeah. The, the actors were trying to follow the lights instead of the other yeah. way around. It drove yeah. me fucking nuts, but and I'm you, trying that's... to follow cue lines because Cause I'd have to like wait for a cue line that was like 10 seconds before I needed the cue to happen. So I'm waiting for that actor. And if they didn't say that line, then suddenly I was like, oh, they've missed it. Yeah. You know, are they going to ad lib? Are they going to wrap the scene? I mean, by the end of the fringe run, we kind of had, it was, it was fine. Even I'd say, I thought they had, they had one bad run. They had, it was sort of a Saturday mat or something. It was and one I of our first this, ones. This was a mess, but the yeah. rest of them, were actually pretty good. And I was so impressed with you not coming down from that booth and coming up to me and going, you fucking turd, because that's what I thought was going to happen. Because that was stressful. Especially you're working with a guy you don't know, you're trying to control these light cues that are just out of control. And the fact that it was as tight as it was, and I mean, that's how we learn. I've never done anything that stupid ever again. Well, I think we've always kept our own shows. No kidding. And there's a reason for that. There is, that's the reason I would never do that again, unless it was literally someone being salaried who was there all the time that I I remember that show because I wasn't just stage managing. I was also sound operating for that show. That's right. For a lot of sound cues, just by the nature of the script. Yes. We had added in for a Not as many as the lights. But there were quite a few. (laughs) Because you did the sound design. I did the sound design. And I didn't, I mean, it was a lot, but it sort of, they were always watching TV and it was kind of important to the show. There was was TV clips. There was door knocks. I think there was a doorbell or phone or two. And then there was one music cue at the very end. It was, it was all stuff that was built into the script. It wasn't superfluous crap that you had thrown at me. Like it was necessary for the story. It was just the lighting that was, I remember being a little excessive. 
Oh, it was, it was, we did, we did pare it down. I remember I can't I think of it to the this light day. operator and be like, yeah. cut this cue, cut, cut this cue, cut, cut, cut this cue, cut this cue. But yeah. So that was our first time. We're, but I mean that, you know what? The I was Probably talking to Jason about this. The fringe is a fucking free for all. Yeah. Like, let's be Thanks. honest. Right. And the show did decent. It did. We had it, some really good houses. The reviews really, were really up and down because it was yeah. a very difficult show to comprehend in some ways. Yeah. Um, but most of, I mean, I had pretty good cast. You, d- you had a great cast. The ladies, especially. Yes. Let's, let's be honest. The ladies yeah. really carried Well, they the carried it. They I mean. carried it. But by the e- again, it was one of those things, too. It's less experienced actors and stuff, because by the end of it, the men had kind of caught up a little bit. Whereas at the beginning, I felt they were being outshined. Yeah, I think they lot. really, the male cast really learned from the female cast. And yes, they did. One of the female cast, she was, you know, she'd been around for ages. Like, yeah. she you know, the other three were fairly young, particularly the, the two boys. The two men, yeah. They were quite young, quite green. Yeah, because um, I and, thought that, the, the, that uh, I'll say it, Carly, the younger woman, she was yeah. funny in that. Like, she was pretty oh, good was... right off the bat, but she was yeah. a pro. Like, she was Miss, like, I've been in a thousand commercials. I've done this. I've done yeah. uh, Second City. So she wasn't nervous. The other yeah. two were nervous when we started, and you could yeah. tell. But then they just got more comfortable and more confident. Yeah. And I think as, and I think that's also as, you know, it's one thing, especially if you're a green actor to go from a rehearsal space where you're still, you're not on a stage, it's tape lines or imagine this, or this is when the lights are going to go. This is the sound cue to finally get thrown into that theater. And because it's fringe and you don't get that tech week, you don't get those multiple cue to cues. You don't get a light walk. Yeah. It two it hours you. if you're lucky yeah. to do a cue to cue, a light walk a theater orientation. They, you know, have to learn the stage and the backstage. They have to like, it's just, if you're a green actor, a fringe is a really hard thing to get thrown into because there's no baby steps. Yeah. It's the timelines are so tight. Like even when we're running the show, we get access to backstage 15 minutes in advance of curtain and we have to be out 15 minutes later. So they don't get to do any pre-show warmups. They don't get to go and do Italians. It's just do it. You're, You're literally sitting outside and then you're inside doing the show. Like yeah. it's boom, just like that. Yeah. Now, so we finish that. Then a whole thing goes by. I direct another whole show. And through that show, I end up doing a one woman show. You do. And then we decide, and you stage manage my show. Not the one I yes. directed, but the one that I'm yeah. now starring yeah. in I went for to, some I went reason. To see the the show you directed. Yes. You did the the like the invited dress at the back of the imperial at the a fucking gross pub <laughs> though the, you know what, now that I, at the time i was like this is the absolute fucking worst i really didn't like it i hadn't picked the, the spot i think um, it's because the venue was like dirt cheap oh it was, I, it was free two dollars at free. most but when i think back now it something about it kind of suited it yeah like the show the that, show that wasn't run the show was kinda... meant to be trash yeah, that grunge. It wasn't, I'm not saying feeling. it was like the guy was awesome and everything, but the yeah. show was meant to be kind of like the leftover of, of show yeah. business and the track. And the for dregs. some reason, I mean, the, we also did a run with that show in New York, which was very, very good. But he did have a power in that pub yeah. that we didn't see later in other places. There's almost like the CD sat, and I, you know, no offense to the Imperial Pub, but I have yeah. never given them for not having plum sauce why are you serving chicken nuggets <gasps> plum sauce? i don't even remember that 
I don't think I ate. This, no, this was, I was there, like, the Imperial another time. great for coming, and then having every part of a dish except the key ingredient that ties the dish together. They were probably just out of it. They were like, it was, ah, it was, the Imperial Pub was a favorite haunt of uh, the theater crew and the Algonites that I worked with when I worked for the Of Algonites. course, of course, it's right um, there. That was front of house. Oh, I have stories about that if you ever want to go into that one. Oh, dear God. <laughs> the Imperial Pub has a seedy sadiness to it. Like, there's something just kind of sad and washed Tragic. Up. Yeah, really played into that performance and that character who was kind of a washed up performer himself. Like it just, you could see that character actually being reduced to performing in a CD pub in a terrible venue space where the stage is a crooked riser and there's literally a fish tank in the wall. The yeah. Like yeah. There was something, was there was set. something scary about him in there. Yeah. And that's what I yeah. wanted to retain was that slight fear and edge on the character that I, again, I don't want to, again, who could listen to this? I'm not sure. But I did feel that simmered out a little bit later on after New York. It, it kept, it went a little more cute. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it, and he was a cute person. So I was trying to not let it do that. You know it's, what I mean? It was, yeah, like the script, I think you could do it either way. And I remember I was in the first row for that, that CD pub performance and yeah. he terrified me. Yeah energy coming off of him I was like oh I'm so uncomfortable I'm never sitting in the front row (laughs) (laughs) but then seeing it years later when we were in San Diego it was a different experience it was I mean it was a different theater obviously I was not in the front row I I mean I'd been away from it yeah things had happened and it was different and it's okay for something to be different but it had it lost a bit of that that scary edge to it It but obviously other people yeah they didn't want that they didn't yeah. want that. And that's, that's okay. But uh, at the same time I was doing a show yeah. and that did have bite and that oh, did have some bark. Um, and so did bite. we as the uh, one set of invited Canadians, <laughs> the, angry the, first, Canadians. the first ever Ansley, we went to the first ever San Diego fringe festival. We this show. did. And I'm, you know, we did have problems with that other show that were going on. Even at the time you were watching some gaslighting was happening, but yeah. I'm still so glad that you and I did that. And we were sort of on our own. And yeah. that made it. We were totally on. He, we were, he, we were on our own. We and, had the yeah. director, and I'm doing this in air quotes. Yeah, I maintain that you directed yourself for a good fifty percent of that show. We had him for again a very sad theater tech, which was the first time that Angry Canadians came out because I have never, in all of my years of theater and all of the many theaters that I have been to, I have never been told that I have to incorporate someone else's set. I know. Into my show. We both got a little pissy over that. I had to do that in San Diego. And that was the first time. I think that was your rage moment. It was. Well, and And I I I used my my full voice and size to my advantage because I there's a situation that if anybody listening to this, if you come across where it's all men and you're two women there and they're like, listen, this is just what's gotta happen, okay? Like this is, and I just said is this a joke? Yeah. This is insulting. And I think they were thought, one, they're women, two, they're these Canadians, they're going to be, you know, stupid, and we're just going to be lazy. And, and I said, how would I reach up and tear that down right now? Because I can yeah. reach it and ruin it. And they were like, well, and I just said, get it down. And yeah. they did. They did. Yeah, they, they did. And I think when we put up a fuss, the rest of, because they were like, oh, other shows have just gone with it. And I was like, yeah, fuck that. Um, no kidding. 
But well, remember, when I mean, you tell me I'm getting a black box, yeah, give me a black box. You don't give me three. And it was it was box. barely that. It was barely yeah, that. No. But you and I <laughs> there both was a had fireplace some in that theater. Yeah, that was that was about as rowdy as I've ever seen you get. And that was I was off stage in the dressing room, and I think it was a different. Wasn't the same day. No, but I was lost my flag. cool. The July fourth performance. Oh. I lost my cool. <laughs> oh my god! And when I Trial when I and I, I, I feel bad because I kind of took it out on the tech, and then the next theater <laughs> manager was the one that came and apologized to me because <laughs> the way that we so both this was I'm I'm, to I'm totally gonna spill the tea. I'm gonna spill the tea. Let's the do tea. it. We were in the Tenth Street Theater in San Diego, California. I hope it's still open, but who knows? Upper yeah. theater, which yeah. is not a, it was, I don't, it was a room. Weird room that they had turned into a theater, but not turned into a theater because I remember there was a fireplace and instead of just painting it black and letting it just blend into the wall, they decided to highlight it by putting two potted plants. Two plastic plants. But there was a but lighting then they put the, like, the, the seating next to it. Yeah. It was- it, it was a very odd situation. Again, talk about just being dumped in at the deep end. We were just like, yeah. well, here we are. San Diego Fringe had decided that the 10th Street Theater was going to be their festival hub, and they were going to put the heart of their festival on the rooftop patio, Yeah. which, okay, no one knows it's up there, whatever. But then they decided to have a 4th of July party on the roof of the theater and they decided to start it at 7 p.m., which was our curtain time. That's right. So the entire show, all you could hear behind your lovely work was the beats from their music. So it was- okay. I mean, Hey, I could hear it too. <laughs> well, and nobody and, was at our show. Nobody. Well, it was a terrible time to give anyone a curtain call. But yeah. to do that, to, have, to, to, to disrespect your own theater so much. Yeah. I just remember, and then the the the- um air conditioner kept going on and off and so at the end of the I just remember going off on the tech being like this is the most unprofessional I have ever seen the theater managed you know and it was I was angry I was was wonderful I was I was in the the quote dressing room which is a little side thing off the side of the stage (laughs) because I was like oh I don't want to hear this because it was one of those things where I was like oh who's shouting and then I was like oh my god it's Ansley. and I was like oh this is this is fucking <laughs> if you awesome. know me I don't shout no no I don't like conflict but, but I, I and I heard you saying about oh this is unprofessional and how this had and I mean we found out later too that the show going on on the first floor was also disrupted by that noise that's how bad it was yeah because it was it They're was just double decker theater they hadn't done this stuff before and somebody wasn't thinking because there yeah, was a someone, lot of weird stuff like that that did yeah. happen. But what was but I will give kudos to the theater manager. He did come up to me the next day and be like, oh, apologize to both of us. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I would never have allowed that if I'd known. Well, so that's easy to say after late now, but yeah, it was just, yeah. I, and that was the fastest performance I think I ever did. We just raced through that. I'm usually a little on the sluggish. I mean, I think I did the show in half the time almost. You did it. It was a 56 minute show. You did it 45. Yeah. I was just like, get this shit. Well, there was nobody in there. There was like one person in there. I was just like, fuck this. Yeah. There was like one or two. And then one person left when the party started. Yeah. 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 It was, it was pretty rough, but it did get a little better as the, like the five days went on. Because our last couple shows were full. 
Our last shows were amazing. And they went over pretty well. I mean, I did talk to some people who had seen the original. That was the most interesting part. And they really liked our version. Like more than I thought. I thought I'd have people very uh, faithful to that original version, which was very unique and special. But they were very taken with what, what we did as well. Well, I remember, yeah, because there was the one, I remember one gentleman in particular came up afterwards and said, I saw him do the original years ago. And he's like, this was amazing, perfect interpretation of it. And I know there was a really positive response from his family, the playwrights family. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, I have no regrets doing that festival. It was its very first year. So we did get to experience all of its growing pains. Yeah. All that, <laughs> though, at the time I was a ball of rage. <laughs> performance is just it's a highlight in my memory now of okay nothing is probably ever going to be as worse yeah it's just like what what else have you got what else and we got got? through it so yeah yeah I can't believe I actually never thought that I would perform again like that so I'm glad that I did it because I don't think I'll ever perform again like that but even before that show I thought I'm kind of done with any kind of act and the only reason I mean I'm like you I was never really talented and I, I I'm a great I, I think one of my top skills is actually directing yeah that yeah, I'm good I'm at Her, the performance and the only reason it worked because it was such uh it was it was like somebody had written it for me yeah like that's how close fit. it was it was a perfect fit and yeah. that's why it worked most roles is just like it's a stretch I'm not good enough to like disappear into it's, a part, but that role, I didn't have to do. disappear. Yeah. I was just like, I was just, it was just a, an extension of my self in a way, yeah. uh, a yeah. mean, crazy extension, but the was writing fabulous. was so genius that it was such a pleasure. Well, and it was a really fun show because I remember a couple of times, and this is why I put director in air quote, because it was you and I going yeah some scene bits and being like what do you think this means what do you think he's trying to go for what way should we there was one scene and I forget what he titled the scene but I remember we went through like three or four different versions of that scene before we settled on the one that performance that you did deliver and I remember it's the one where like she kind of has a little bit of a breakdown and at one point you ended up sort of like kind of collapsing on stage it was towards the end of the yeah movie. Um, but I just remember workshopping that like it was all just of that ending was sort of so a meaty. weird thing to to get through because yeah. there there was a lot of the show we did cut because it got repetitive and and yeah. strange and some of it was sort of written as these like sections that didn't necessarily flow into each other I think we rearranged some stuff as well we, uh, yeah I definitely took it and yeah. even after we did that like we did it one more time in my hometown of Cambridge Ontario and we changed it again for we, that. Did. we did like, did. it was we did continuously heavy revisions for that one. adapting because I was just like I don't like how this plays out I don't like yeah. you know and I that's when by that time we had taken it over completely yeah. But there was, there were certain parts where I'd never gotten satisfaction. And I basically had to say, I'm going to say that this means this because I have to make it mean something. Yeah. And we can't just keep going around in a circle of like, pretend, you know how you feel when you're having a nervous breakdown? Like that was one of the notes I got. And I want to say, no, I don't. Oh, you mean last Tuesday? (laughs) Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you mean. I mean, maybe, and I, I kept trying to say you have to be more basic because I'm actually not as good an actor as a yeah. like yourself. 
And yeah. he wouldn't, he took that, I think, as like a false modesty. And it was like, no, no, no. And I was like, I'm not kidding. Like, yeah. you have to think about you have to how to communicate break it down and this. show me the route. Yeah. He never did. Yeah. And well, but then we just had to, I just had to do that and then yeah. work it out with you as sort of the audience. You know what I mean? But yeah. that was, that's, yeah, I mean, listen, that's a whole experience unto itself. Well, it makes you a stronger director and it makes you a stronger actor because, you yeah. know, you're, 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 experiencing it from both sides simultaneously so it forms you as a director how an actor might feel when you take this sort of direction and then it forms you as an actor when it was just the most healthy exercise to be doing all the time but okay it's okay (laughs) as a learning experience once in a while Uh, but um yeah that was that was definitely a memorable thing it was it was fun time it was yeah it was it was a it was a kind of a culture shock in a way but we did it get was, out and about a little bit. That was good. We, we got a little bit of tourism in. And I think the thing that I remember the most about San Diego was the fact that it was like super scenic. And we got there in a weird flash forward to my, or, you know, to what I would be doing in the future. Uh, we got there the week before San Diego Comic-Con. Yes, we did. Comic-Con wasn't on, but the whole city was feeling Getting ready. So it was kind of yeah. this kind of festival vibe that was a little bit overtaking what the Fringe Festival was trying to do. But I just remember that town being so tourist friendly and so picturesque until you got to 11th street and then the dime it flipped. Yeah. It, it did feel a little rough. I hope it's like, sure. that was just, you know, I mean, that was right around the time of the, the recession. So everybody was on the outs. So I'm sure San Diego is much more happier place. What a cultural right now, this year right now. Feeling like but. it was kind of the nineties. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Ever, the music. There was. I never heard a song that was produced before the, 2004. There. The unintentional. Like we walked back and forth from that theater about a thousand times. Yeah. And every we'd walk by the the waitresses and hosts and stuff would be outside the restaurants because of course it's always always hot and sunny. Yeah. And they'd say things like, "You guys are so gnarly," and I think yeah. that they were joking. And they were saying it as an actual statement, no, which it I, wasn't ironic. It, it was, wasn't ironic, but it was kind of fun. <laughs> it was, it was San Diego's vibe. Yeah. Like it's nothing. only two nerd Torontonians can only be that cool in San Diego. In San Diego. And that's what I thought was kind of like, they thought we were the coolest fucking shit that had ever walked in there. And we're not, <laughs> we're so, we're the opposite. Like we are not two cool. Star Trek fucking weirdo nerd, you know. We went to see Star Trek. <laughs> we did go to see Star Trek. We did go I, see Star yeah, Trek. I was underwhelmed, but uh, yeah. we did go see. The theater was beautiful that we saw it in, but. Hey, it was air conditioned. That's, that's what I cared about. We were doing point. it because we had to kill like an hour before going to the airport. And we're like, oh, hours we yeah go, we can't go do anything super touristy because we can't leave um because we had to find a bus to the airport and that was like a 30 minute ride so we're just like let's go watch star trek and then we're like why did we do this oh ansley well so that that's our little walk down memory lane uh, so now as your position now in this time what's happening what does your day look like is it all theoretical like how much Yes and no. It's a lot of, I mean, my day in 2021 looks a lot different than my day did in 2020. Okay. As I said, we are hopeful that by the last, like we've, we've picked up and shift and moved all of our events to the second half of the year. And we are hopeful that we will get some of them. I mean, we're, we're keeping, it's all crystal ball territory in the events industry right now. Um, We know that it's going to be a mix of getting green lights from 
you know, government from health, but also knowing that our attendees are going to be safe and our guests are going to be safe. So there is planning happening, concrete planning that is happening because with an event the size that we do, I mean, we talked about it, it's 100, over 100,000 people over four days, it's hundreds yeah. of talent and other programming. If I have a show tentatively scheduled for the fall, I have to start that show now because I need that seven, eight month runway to get that show on its feet. Like right. for, you know, something that in total over four days is actually 30 hours of showtime. It requires hundreds of hours of planning and programming time. If we can have a show in the second part of this year, and we desperately want to do one, and we like to think that our attendees and our fans desperately want to come and do it with us, I have to get that ship out of the harbor now because I cannot plan a show in two weeks. So if I wait until the end of June to see what the situation is and then be like, okay, now start, I can't. There's not enough time. Yeah. There literally is not enough time to do not one event, not to mention the breadth of events that we do. Right. So we have to start. And it is baby steps right now. Like we are aware of the situation. We are completely cognizant that COVID is still very much a thing and is still impacting our industry. So we're, we're, we're doing what we can, but in a lot of ways, it is still theoretical, a little bit more. Okay. Instead of huge pie in the sky thinking, which is what a lot of 2020 was where it's like, okay, we, we've have this forced break. Let's take a step back. Let's talk about future projects and what we want the shows to look like in three years and four years and five years. Cause we can actually have the time now to start that planning where in a regular show year, because we go from show to show to show to show to show, there's a lot of time where that future planning has to take a bit of a backseat to the immediate because I'll come off one show and have another show in three weeks. So I don't have time to step back and think about 2025. I'm purely in you know, 2019 and what's been 2020. So it's been nice to be able to step back and do some future planning. 2021, it's planning for the shows, but it's still a little theoretical because of course it is all still predicated on what a show might look like. If we get a green light, is there going to be any restrictions in that show? Is there going to have to be social distancing? Is there going to be limits on who can be in at what time? I feel like there is. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's the thing. That's is like, my we bet. We have to plan for like A, B, C, and D. Yes, absolutely. A it's the is, same at the ballet. It's, it's 2019 all over again. No restrictions. Yeehaw. Yeah. Go for it. Everyone's got the shot. It, life is gravy. Or is it, we could do an event, but all everything has to be six feet apart. We can only have X amount of people in the building at one time. You can't get up close and personal with a guest. Or is it C? it this this is not going to happen at all and we suddenly have to pivot to find some sort of virtual thing yeah so we were it's in some ways it's almost like planning three shows and one time yeah knowing yeah. that only one is actually going to happen it's just planning multiple it's planning it's all versions planning. of it's, a season yeah it's getting it's getting things in place that you can execute when you get the green light but you know that you know whereas this time in 2019, I was two weeks out from my first show of the, the year. And I had three other shows wrapped and ready to go. So I was able to go and do that first show. Yeah. And I had three shows waiting in the wings, but they were all ready to go. And then I had a little bit of a break and then I had four more shows. But then now it's like I have shows, but at the same time, we're still very much in our infancy for planning for them. So it's, it's a really weird time, but we are doing other things. This has really allowed us to grow some digital partnerships. Right. 
working with yes. other companies to do some more online stuff. The switch to like purely digital, I don't think will ever be a real thing for my industry just because so much of what makes our events, our events is the gathering aspect. Yeah, the social. In the same place. It's very, very social. So yeah. I don't think a full virtual will ever emotionally accomplish what an in-person event will look like, but we are exploring avenues and doing some fun things. There's some things in the works right now that I've been working on that will hopefully see the light of day within the next couple of months. Yeah, it's, it's, the event industry is very, very different right now. Yes. And we're feeling our way because we don't know what it's going to look like for the rest of 21, what's it going to look like in 22. Um, there's the, the hope for the return from malice, but we're also planning for it not being 100% normal as well. Ansley, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. And thank before you, thank we you go, for letting me reminisce. Oh, it was my, I was, it's always a pleasure. And you know, Ansley, I still have little fatty. Is she like creepily in the closet? He's creepily in my storage area. Yes. You're going to like, very, your super is going to be like coming in one day and be like, creepily. <laughs> very creepily in the storage area. Oh, but little like, fatty memories. Do you remember the search for the little fatty shoes? I remember a lot about little fatty. And we moved on those shoes, man. Of, that was she was a pain in my ass. But you know what? You need a prop. You always need a prop. Make people mm. laugh. Knock it over. People think it's creepy. She went all over San Diego with us. She did. She had her own bunk. I so, remember watching that bag get loaded onto the plane and thinking we're going to be arrested in the United yeah. States. Well, of I was America. thinking if that bag doesn't get it to San Diego, we're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> And I just had so remember, we were sitting in Boston Logan. <laughs> oh my god. And I was like, that that's the fatty bag. And we literally watched her her load onto our plane and we're like, okay, it's good. It's fine. It's fine. I have one more question for you, and that is when are we going to Disney World? 2022. I'm gonna 2022. Can't do it in 21. Someone I gotta go keeps, do a show right after show. Someone keeps promising me that I'm gonna see Galaxy's Edge before I die. I was and that's somebody is Ansley Newland, and I haven't seen it yet because this is because you, a you, terrible you, scourge this, hit our planet. This is when you live in my closet while I do a show, and then we go and yes, I you know it did. Hey, Disney's running right now, so why shouldn't it be running when we get yeah. there in 2022? And I'm sure it will be, and I'll still be you know I'll still be young enough to delight like a child, an old old child at Disney there, Well, you've seen the pictures of me. Like when I went to Disney World years ago, Galaxy's Edge wasn't open yet. It was still just Hollywood Studios, the little bit of Star Wars that they had there. Rise of Resistance hadn't opened. It was this other tiny sad ride where C-3PO yapped at you for a while. Um, but there are pictures of the sheer delight in my face. When you I just died and gone to heaven. I, I did. Yeah. I, I, I dragged, I went with two, two very good friends uh, who were both Disney diehards. So they actually, the amount of shit that I was able to do in that park because I know how to do that park. Um, but I, I did drag them to characters. Of course. I to meet the princesses. I didn't really care about the Disney face characters, but no. Told me I could meet Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. You've got the <laughs> galaxy's edge is all that matters to me at the yeah. world of Disney. Just, just yeah. put me on Batu. And- all right. We're going to be there a couple more years. We're gonna get there. Hold out. You know, let's wait for let's wait for the germs to settle. The cloud of germs that is. Let's wait for the germs and the political turmoil to just settle down a little more, and then we're gonna be there. Yeah, let's let it become a little bit happier down there. At uh, yes, absolutely. Now, if you've listened to and enjoy this podcast on Apple, please give me a rating. 
and leave a review, unless you didn't like it, in which case do what Ansley and I do and press those deep, dark feelings all the way down to the bottom. I'd like to thank my guests once again for joining me and I'll see you next time. Bye.